Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm here today again with Matt Williams. Um, Matt, thanks for being, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Hey, good to be back. <clears throat> finally, uh, finally got some baseball going here. I've been watching the Dominican leagues <laughs> because I miss baseball so much, and I want uh, get a good opportunity to watch like Wander Franco and uh, and uh, Vidal Brujan and guys like that. Oh, that sounds awesome. How do you access it? Is it just on TV or? Um, actually, uh, for anyone who follows me at Matt Williams, M-E-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S, I actually tweeted out a link today, retweeted one. So it's like November 18th. Uh, just go on there. there there's a link and uh, it's $20, but for the whole season. Again, I don't know, some people that's not worth it to them, but it's like crystal clear quality. And again, I don't make money off of this. This is literally not me hawking anything. Uh, this I retweeted somebody else's link, uh, but it's cool. If you miss baseball, it's, it's, you know, very good players, you know, a lot of prospects. It's uh, it's pretty cool. That's not bad. I mean, MLB TV is what 150 usually. So yeah. 20 bucks for a whole season. Well, yeah. Bad. Plus you got to figure logistically for them to set all that up with really high quality HD. I mean, $20 is not bad. Love it. Well, I appreciate that, and that's that's not why here to, we're here today. We're here to discuss early. <laughs> nope, that's ADP. it. We're talking only Dominican leagues. That's it. <laughs> uh -oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually in my third draft. I'm I'm a bit of a degenerate. I talked to Zach from uh, Draft Champagne, Draft Champions podcast, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and he's and he's I think he's done even more drafts. And so uh, I know you've looked at ADP. I'm not sure if you're actually drafting yet. Um, no, I mean, I'm doing mock drafts, which I know a lot of people hate, but you know, I love drafting. So they're fun. I don't do my real drafts actually until the new year, typically later than that. I mean, I like to have as much information as possible. I know that there is the, there is the, uh, a lot of people out there that love to draft early. Cause they said, that's where you get the value when people don't have the, before people catch up, but I prefer to have as much information as possible. I still think that I have the ability to outmaneuver people, but as far as there being no free agents and a lot of injuries are up in the air and there's certain things we just don't know where you could be wasting pretty high value picks without having information. So I don't, I don't uh, poo poo anyone uh, drafting early. I just prefer not to, at least uh, especially like NFBC, like we're going to talk to, I will wait to put my high money leagues when I have a little more information. I like that. I mean, I, I definitely want to look at some point, maybe after I've have another season under my belt of, of this, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty heavily into the draft champions. And so you can do those from November. They even had a few start in October all the way through March. And so I would like to know if I do better in the ones that are later or the earlier or both, or, you know, if it just doesn't matter. So something I'll look into at some point, but I, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, obviously, other than injuries and other news that comes up, there's going to be just massive movements in uh, where players are drafted. So we might even, if, if I remember to ask you about, about your players, I might even ask at what price, you know, are you in or what price are you out? Because, you know, these are just the, uh, the early ADP, but uh, let's get right into it. Um, you can take a pick uh, from either your sort of going too late or going too early uh, list and we'll start there. So who do you want to talk about first? You know what? Uh, Pete Alonzo was a popular guy last year for everyone to avoid um, because he's a power only guy with no speed. And he was just going, he was just going too early. And here we are looking at Luke Voigt <laughs> going <laughs> incredibly and Jose Abreu, the reigning uh, American league MVP. 
What's interesting going, is Luke Voigt is going before Alonzo. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're both. You know, no, they're both. I, I, I'm not talking. I, uh, I didn't mean to bring up Alonzo. This Alonzo was last year. This year yeah, it's yeah. Voigt and Abreu. Uh, avoid both of them. I don't get it. Uh, power only. Uh, well, I mean, Abreu is going to rack up RBIs, but Voigt. I mean, it's again power. He's not just so. Just so people know what we're talking about before you move on, Abreu is going around pick thirty, which is wow, you know. And uh, Voit is going before pick sixty. So uh, yes. and Alonzo, just for reference, is going just after pick sixty. So uh, at least that's what I'm seeing from the drafts I'm looking at right now. So so please continue. I just wanted to kind of case the the, the argument. Yeah, and and in some drafts, uh, I've seen Luke Voit even go before that. I mean, his min pick is forty six. So. So that's almost third round in a 15 team. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's just as ridiculous. And I'm a Mets fan. I love Pete Alonso. I thought it was ridiculous for him to be going where he was last year. Uh, same as I feel with these two. Uh, first base is where you want to make sure you get someone. Anyone who drafted last year knows that it could get bare really quickly. But if you're looking for power, uh, remember, this was a 60 game sample. People just didn't turn into pumpkins uh, without a significant change to mechanics or injury. Joey Gallo is going at 173. I don't know if everyone remembers how early he was going last year. He was a, he was like an, an easily a top 100 pick. People were picking him to possibly be a league winner because of the amount of power he could generate in such a small amount of time. Josh Bell uh, had a terrible season. He's going at 183. Who you know he's not going to maybe generate like 40 home runs, but um, again that's just a first base option if you're looking for like Voit and Abreu. There's just so many ones you can get later on. Um, it's it's the same exact story as as uh, Pete Alonso last year, the Luke Foy, Jose Abreu, just they're getting way too amped up because of you know, just a very small sample size. We always know Abreu is good for his stats, but again, 60 games over 162, he's going to be probably more like the player we've always seen, which is a good, pretty much always undervalued, but going appropriately in the draft somewhat and just a little later, he's just a good value. So he's no longer a good value. And Luke Voigt is this year's, you know, this year's Pete Alonso, you know, anyone later, Matt Olson, his power was still there this year. His batting average is horrible. I expect him to bounce back again. It was 60 games. There's, there's just a lot of guys that you can get later for a much better value. Uh, Anthony yep. Rizzo has some injury history, but you know, his BABIP is going to bounce back. <laughs> there's, there's just a lot of guys you can get for a much, much better value. Yep. I, I completely agree with you. And then even if you are looking for that, Luke Voigt profile, kind of like you said, there are, you know, you don't necessarily have to get it at first base. I think that's an interesting point that I heard somebody else make. I wish I could remember who to give him credit, but I mean, you can, you can get Kyle Schwarber, you know, 200 picks later and get basically the same thing you get with Luke Voigt, in my opinion. Um, you can get other guys uh, in the outfield like that. And then, you know, you take somebody else at first base also much later, you know, and you kind of get the best of both worlds, Christian Walker or, uh, even Renato Nunez, you know, you can you can get that power um, and maybe you're losing a little, you know, a few counting stats or, you know, I don't really know where Luke, Luke Voigt's batting average is going to settle. But I'm totally with you that there's just really no justification for the fourth round price. So. Yeah. And again, in, in, um, Luke Voigt could be fantastic, but in all likelihood, even his most likely best case scenario, not best case, but most likely best case, he is not going to be worth where you're drafting him probably there's more than likely there's not going to end up being a ton that separates him from like Randall Grichik. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying that I expect Randall to be above Voight, but you know, with Randall going uh, at, after pick like 200. No, I think it was 
that's the perfect example. There, I mean, there are, you know, if you want to go a little earlier than than Grichuk, you can go Jorge Soler. If you want to go a little later than Grichuk, you can, I mean, there 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 are players at, at outfield or even at first base. I, I mentioned Renato Nunez. I mean, that you can get a, a good percentage of the profile, and it's really to me, it's just about price. So, yeah, absolutely, I think it's a great call out, and. Uh, Maybe uh, we can get a little bit more debate going with my first pick because I think Pablo Lopez is going way too early. And I, I, I don't remember if I heard you say this, but I think one of, one of your guests on a recent Turn 2 podcast um, thought Pablo Lopez was a, was a bargain. Um, but he is so, – so I'm going to be interesting, interested to see if you agree or disagree. But right now I'm seeing Pablo Lopez go around pick 100. And I like Pablo Lopez. I, I've always, you know, tried to draft Pablo Lopez around the 20th round, you know, when, when he was going before this year. But pick 100, that's a, that's a seventh round pick, I believe. I mean, in a 15-teamer. I mean, that is nuts to me. I mean, th- this is kind of the, the area of the draft where I'm avoiding starting pitchers. So I will say that up front. But even if I were going to go in this area, you know, is he more proven or, or, or less proven than these guys that are going behind him? You know, the uh, 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 Kevin Gossman. Uh, I mean, even his teammate Sixto Sanchez, I feel like has shown a little bit more than Pablo Lopez. I just feel like Pablo Lopez is um, is is not really. And and then I guess the maybe even a better point than the guys that are going behind him. Maybe, uh, let me throw out a couple other names though, like. Uh, is Kyle Hendricks behind going behind him? I should have looked this up first. Kyle Hendricks is going right around where Pablo Lopez is going. So, I mean, and then there's a few guys in the rounds uh, maybe before Pablo Lopez, like Zach Granke and Dylan Bundy, that if you're going to go for a pitcher in this general area, pay one round more. And I feel like you're getting, you're, you're getting so much more um value and uh, likelihood of success. I mean, I think Pablo Lopez could be great, but uh, pick 100 or anywhere near that is just too much to pay, I think, for somebody who hasn't really done it before. So um, do you agree or disagree? All right. Well, you, you open that up with you like Pablo Lopez. You just don't want to pay for him in that spot. I love Pablo Lopez. I will gladly pay for him in that spot. Uh, to your To your original point with yeah, he he's a lot he is a lot more proven than Sixto Sanchez, who does have incredible injury risk. People do forget that. Um, and again, 60 game sample size. Kevin Gaussman also early career extreme injury risk, and his his velocity was up, and he did it over 60 games, knowing he was gonna be a free agent. I don't know if he can keep that over 162. I actually love both of those pitchers, though. Um, I'll probably end up with like a I will end up with shares of Gaussman. Sixto, I feel like his value will probably be pushed too high. Well, the thing with um the thing with Pablo Lopez is he's going around pick 100, but uh, it was me who actually loved him on my own show uh, who I was kind of discussing. It's that he has favorable metrics to Corbin Burns who's going to 56 and Zach Plesak is going to 52. Two guys. I also like Plesak is definitely um, one of the guys I am targeting. I even, ha- I have him in my top 20, uh, but or starting pitchers, I should say, but uh, yeah, Pablo Lopez, as far as, um, O swing, swing strike rate, K minus walk percentage. Um, well, not maybe, maybe not K minus walk percentage, but um, you know, Z contact, like uh, how much he can actually fool people with his stuff within the zone. He is, he is a lot better than people give him credit for. And I actually feel like 100 is a, is a, is a solid spot. 
you can say that it's unproven as far as maybe the uh, results, you know, ERA, <laughs> the things that you need in fantasy. But if you watched him uh, over the past couple of years, and especially last year, like you, you've kind of seen this coming. Like people kind of saw Corbin Burns um, coming. He had the, you know, the control problems, but you saw the peripherals. I think Pablo Lopez is on the cusp of really making a jump up. So I think that um, you are right that there's some interesting people around there. I think it kind of determines, I think it's, I think your pick is determined by what you did earlier in the draft, who you have on your rotation already, whether you go for a guy like, you know, you know, him, or you go for a guy like Kyle Hendricks, it's obviously you're shooting for two different things there, but uh, yeah, I have no problem where he's going. Um, I will, I think I'll have a ton of shares of Pablo Lopez. Well, I'm glad we found someone we could disagree with because it is kind of boring to, and, and I think typically we're going to see most players the same way, but maybe we can find some more that we don't. So um, I, I, you know, the only thing I have to say is the, I, I don't like the, the Corbin Burns comparison because of the massive strikeout rate. I will say that I, I agree with you that Lopez is, has things that he's better at than Corbin Burns, for instance, control, which is very important to me. But yeah, just, the, uh, I should, I, that's why I backed off. Uh, I didn't mean to say K minus walk. It's definitely not the same. Uh, I said, uh, I look at things for, especially in a short sample size of the uh, O swing and Z contact and swinging strike rate. Those are the right. three things I really like to look at. Um, you know, the, it doesn't mean that they're similar pitchers, but those are things that I think can translate the most into success. If you're trying to compare people, K minus walk percentage is a huge thing, which is where a lot of people set themselves apart, but it's just a uh, little things like that where I can look at how good their stuff is. Um, and I think that the Paulo Lopez just, I think it's, I think it's a nice, I, I think he's a, he's a good risk. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, I just, <laughs> like interesting. I, I, I just think I'm going to be, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to take, I'm trying to think, well, I forgot to ask you the question about, uh, about Voight, but like, if I'm thinking about where would I take, Pablo Lopez, how far he would have to fall. Um, you know, it's just, there are so many pitchers. And I mentioned, um, I mentioned Gossman and I mentioned somebody else. Uh, Sixto is a really bad example. Let's not talk about him, but like, you know, Joe Musgrove is going after that. Uh, Tyler Molly is going after that. I'm not getting these guys either. So that's the thing. Yeah, Frankie Montas. Um, You're and, naming and, a whole bunch of guys I like. And I like these guys. <laughs> I, the problem to me is, you're getting – I literally drafted uh, Zach Greinke in the seventh round um, yesterday. And so it's like if you're, if you're going to get – and maybe, you know, you could find fault with Greinke, but Kyle Hendricks to me is a great example. If you can get a pitcher that you feel that, that certain about because he gives, gives you, you know, statistics that you need year in and year out, you know, and there's a proven track record, it's hard for me a round, two round, even three or four rounds later – to pay for the upside of, a, you know, like, I, I like Frankie Montas. I think he could, I think he could bounce back a little bit. I don't think he's going to be a top 15 pitcher or, you know, I think people got a little overhyped on him going into 2020, but none of these guys are, are, are proven. And so you, you can, you can grab any of them. You can grab, <laughs> I know you, you said you liked a lot of those guys. I mean, you can grab David Price, you can grab Aaron Savali. You know, there are all these guys in the next few rounds so I just I can't pay up into the seventh round or even the eighth round for Pablo Lopez. I mean, I don't think I'm taking him before these other guys because I don't feel any more confident about him than these other guys. But, you know, that's what makes a market. So I don't want to uh, harp on it too much. Let's go to your next guy. Uh, avoiding. I mean, I'm avoiding and bad value. Walker Bueller. Um, mm. If he has the talent, he could he should be a, a first round pick. He, he could be a first round pick. 
Uh, but um, this, the thing that really worries me with starting pitching and, and we'll talk about hitters too. We're not, don't worry. We're not going to only talk <laughs> about pitching, but uh, Walker Bueller, he, um, after going into the year with, with some doubts, like he threw like 180 ish innings the year before, but then he comes in, he had a little bit of a injury setback in spring training. And then the main thing is he didn't throw any pitches between the shutdown and the start of the season. Not, we don't know that from a lot of people. We don't know who, how, who threw what, which is going to make innings pitched this huge nightmare in 2020 or 2021, which is why, you know, even though I, Trevor Bauer, all of his numbers scream regression, the only thing that does a scream regression is the innings he's probably going to throw, which, which should be baked back into him. So anyone who thinking that he's, he's going to be this bad value, you got to have to add in like, you know, things like that. But for, for Walker Bueller, he, didn't throw a single pitch during the shutdown. And then he came back super late into the season. And then although he pitched well and in the playoffs, incredibly well, I have no idea what that means for his pitch count in next year. And it doesn't matter that he threw 180 uh, the year before he's going to have an, you know, a giant jump from one year to the next. And the Dodgers always do wonky stuff no matter what, but yeah, I'm really, really worried about Walker Bueller. If he, you know, if he ends up like going, you know, 160, 170, it wouldn't shock me. And he was phenomenal the entire way. But if there was like an injury here or there and something just went really wrong or he had some dead arm, I mean, there's a lot that could go wrong. And you're just really investing a top pick. Like right now, he's, he's going around 18, which again, at his, at his peak is, is a, probably a good deal. But I think it's way too high. Uh, give me, uh, give me Brandon Woodruff. Uh, give me, uh, give me Luis Castillo, <laughs> you know, give me Lucas Giolito guys behind him. Like, no, thank you to Walker Bueller. What about Clayton Kershaw? Cause first of all, I, I agree with you on Bueller. I think, you know, that there's a, there's kind of at least a yellow flag with, with the lack of preparation this season. I mean, you would like to think that was just a crazy 2020 thing, but you know, he's the, he's going as like the fifth pitcher off the board. So mm-hmm. I, I agree that the, there are so many guys it's kind of the same as the Pablo Lopez thing actually if you want to think about it that way there's so many guys that I feel just as good about if not better about like you some of the guys you mentioned but I do want to I'm curious about Kershaw because I do think part of my issue with Bueller is is Dodgeritis and the way that they they use him but you know Kershaw plays for the same team but he has proven he can go seven innings um on a regular basis and i i think i would take him straight up over bueller but i'm curious what you think i agree i mean the dodgeritis only happens yeah like you said i i think if walker would have been on a normal schedule i don't think he would have been prone to it either but the way they protect people it's it's a it's an you don't know how they're going to deal with bueller just because of that i agree that i'd i'd want kershaw over Bueller. I don't see myself drafting Kershaw necessarily. Um, not that I think he's a bad value. He's going around 30. I, but I mentioned before, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about people who are a great value. I, I said, Brandon Woodruff already, maybe my favorite pitcher value on the entire board. Um, I love, uh, how about Jack Flaherty <laughs> who, when we get into my targets, uh, you know, uh, basically his narrative with the COVID with what happened to the Cardinals, he didn't get the pitch. And then he got there and then such a small sample size with how bad, how bad his numbers look, but he kind of, you know, kind of, he had some good games mixed in there. And what was he it's like in, in like a 15 teamer? He was like second rounder, mid second rounder, maybe even closer to the first round turn. And now you're getting him around pick. What, uh, where is he flying around now? I'm trying to find him. Clarity is going after pick 30. So yeah. third round. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think, I think that there's so many guys like, again, him, Woodruff, um, 
that I'd, I'd rather take a shot on than maybe Kershaw. Uh, but mm. uh, yeah, I, in general, yes, I, I think Kershaw will end up being a good value like he was this year, um, even though he started off uh, on the injured list. Yeah, he's always going to have a, a few, um, you know, off days and back stiffness. I mean, he's not uh, he's not a young buck anymore by any by any means, but he's just so darn good when he's out there, and he doesn't he's not subjected to the Dodgers' madness. But no, I, I think I, we're pretty much on the same page there. So, in in line with you mentioning that we are going to talk about some hitters, uh, I'll get back to a hitter with. Um, Kyle Lewis. So the the thing about saying Kyle Lewis is overvalued is he is going all over the freaking place. So he's on on average, it's around pick 75, but his men pick is 56 and his his max pick is 129. And I'm just looking in the draft champions. This is only seven drafts. So 56 to 129 is a huge range for him to be going in. Um, And I, and I will say that I feel like He's probably going to drift down closer to the 129. He, he went in the eighth round in the draft that I'm in now. So eighth round, maybe I don't have that much of a problem with Kyle Lewis. Uh, I think the problem I have is I don't really know what I'm going to get from him. And that there are several facets to that. One is I don't think he's really a high batting average guy. So, you know, on a team like the Mariners, I don't know that he's going to get really great counting stats. Um, you know, I don't know that he's, I, that's, that's one unknown. The second unknown is, you know, how many bases is he going to steal? We don't really have a track record and I'm not extrapolating what people did in 2020. I think that's a really bad idea. And then third, I don't really know where the power is. I think a lot of people are just seeing massive, massive power from Kyle Lewis. And I think, you know, he's probably a guy that's going to flirt with 30 home runs, but I don't see him as a Joey Gallo type guy. Um, his, Max exit velo, you know, in 2020 was 110.9, which is good, but not great. His fly ball per line drive exit velo is 92.6, which is good, but not great. He had 16 barrels, which is, which is very good, but it's not, he's not up there with the guys who had, you know, high twenties barrels in a short season. So, you know, I'm talking like Corey Seager and, you know, Tatis, I think had over 30. So, you know, there, there are, there are guys with a lot more power and they get to it more regularly than Kyle Lewis. So I just think he's kind of a decent uh, option in the outfield, but there are guys going, you know, around or below him that I would just much prefer. You know, he's going, he's going before Eddie Rosario. Sometimes he's going before um, Castellanos. Sometimes he's going before Tommy Pham. Sometimes. Well, Tommy Pham, (laughs) We have to wonder uh, if he's going to be perfectly fine after his extracurricular uh, event that that transpired. But I I just think that there's a lot of other directions where I feel better. I I guess I'm I'm worried about Kyle Lewis getting to even like 30, 90, 260. So, you know, that to me is is more of a 12th round outfielder, um, 12th or 13th round outfielder. Uh, so I, I have a hard time looking at Kyle Lewis and even the seventh or eighth round. And he has gone as early as like the fourth and fifth round. So I'm just uh, probably I, not going to have any. There is no circumstance in which Kyle Lewis will ever be on a single one of my teams. There's no way. <laughs> one of the most brutal values on the board. Uh, batted 262 with 11 home runs. Um, 
his expected batting average is 240, which I won't get into what goes into expected batting average. Uh, but that is probably more in line what you can expect from him. Uh, I mean, 262 isn't that abnormal, but I think, you know, 250 is, is fine. So, I mean, 262 is a little on his high end, but the problem here is he, he strikes out a ton, like near 30%, you know? Um, and that is who he is. That's what is going to happen. He batted 229 versus fastballs. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not signing up for a low average power hitter who can't hit fastballs. How about, how about we go with a guy who is going at pick 174 ish. So min 157, uh, max 188, Anthony Santander, mm-hmm. most boring name you can maybe whip out. Uh, by the way, Kyle Lewis, 262, 11 home runs, Anthony Santander, 261 with 11 home runs. He's and and uh, by He's the way, Santander's uh, 11 home runs came, and I, I believe 37 games. He, yes. he was injured at the end of the season yes. for most of September. Yes, he did that in 153 at bats. His expected batting average, which again lines up with what he is, uh, what he has done, is uh, his is 286. So you're kind of looking instead of a 240 hitter with 11 home runs, you're looking at a 286 hitter with 11 home runs, who by the way hit 284 versus fastballs. So. <laughs> Uh, and you're talking this gigantic difference in in value. So if and, and this isn't just like me cherry picking, I'd I'd rather have Santander next year than Kyle Lewis straight up. Um, I'm not drafting Santander early. I'm just not drafting Kyle Lewis. I think that's a great great call out. I'll also mention that in this draft I'm in, I got uh, Laureano in the tenth round and Jorge Soler in the eleventh round. So you know I would prefer either of those guys straight up to Kyle Lewis who went in the eighth round and is, is a lot of times going earlier. So don't, don't fall into the uh, short season recency bias um, with, with Kyle Lewis. I think we, we agree on that one. It sounds like um, give one more too early and then we'll move to the going too late. I can, I, I had a couple other guys, but I don't really need to talk about them. So who's your third uh, too early guy. Um, my, my too early guy is fairly obvious. He's the very first 2021 player breakdown I did. And his name is Randy. <laughs> Randy Rosarina, love this guy. How many at bats did he have in the majors? Not even the playoffs. You got to be kidding, folks. Um, could he be Christian Yelich? Yeah, he could. But the chances of that happening are so slim. I mean, you can read my read my breakdown. I don't. I do not dislike Randy. I listed all these like historical lists that he's been on that only Hall of Famers have done. We know what he did this year, but his skills translate more to Tommy Pham than they do um, to possibly Randy or, you know, into Christian Yellick. And he's right now going to pick 50, like around 59, 60. And that's, there's not a big spread on his uh, min and max. I mean, 46, 76 around there. I mean, he's kind of going where he's going. So yeah, that's absolutely too big of a risk. Like, could you hit? Sure. But the chances of you hitting, I think are slim. The chances of him delivering in his draft value, I think are very slim. So yeah, you could be right, but it's, it's just a bad risk. There's always that every year. I'm okay being wrong, but if I would rather my misses uh, be off my team, like I don't, you know, I'd rather avoid Randy altogether and go with other people I feel more confident in. So even though you're sitting there and you look at the numbers, oh, imagine what Randy could be. But yeah, imagine what he could be in a negative way too. There is a lot of room for error projecting Randy and the highest percentage chances he is worse than the uh, 60th player off the board. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm having I'm having trouble with Randy. Uh, did you see Steamers? Um, what they came out with for him: twenty five home runs, twenty one stolen bases, and a two fifty eight batting average with going about eighty eighty, which you know, and six hundred and twenty seven at bats, which is almost full time. And it, we I don't know if you even mentioned the the Rays. You know, like that's a concern. Even if you know he's one of their you know six outfielders, it's not you know maybe he's the the guy who gets almost every day but maybe not quite every day playing time I, yeah, I, people not... people tend to forget that yeah it is the rays and we've seen so little out of randy a non-elite prospect where just because everyone else has anointed him a god if he has a cold streak which again with his batted ball profile is entirely possible he could see some games on the bench. I don't expect it. I would, if I had to bat, I'd say he ends up being full-time even with the race, but the, the risk must be baked in that they're not going to do it. And for anyone here, like, you know, like, Oh, Matt hates them. I mean, I have him down for 265, 27 home runs and 24 stolen bases. Oh, <laughs> I wow. think he, I actually think he's going to be quite good. Um, but you have to bake in the risk of what he likely will be. Um, so in other words, you kind of, you have him, as a fourth round value from the stats perspective, but with the risk perspective, you're pushing him down in, in your rankings. It sounds like. Yes, I would. Uh, I, Tommy Pham, I think was my perfect example of uh, you take Randy, I'll take Pham. Um, my percentage <laughs> chance of me gaining profit are much higher than you yeah. completely failing. That's four rounds later or five yeah. rounds later. So I, be I believe in Randy. It's just a terrible value. <laughs> I think you're going to, I think I know how you're going to answer this question, but um, so I'm going to tell you the, the other outfielders, he actually went in the fifth round. So just a, you know, a few picks later than you're talking about, um, you know, around pick 70 instead of around pick 60, but I'm going to tell you the other, other outfielders that went in the fifth round. And I think what you're going to say is you're just not taking any of them, but maybe I'm wrong. So uh, Michael Conforto, Aaron judge, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Randy Rosarina, Trent Grisham and George Springer. Now again, what I'm what I'm asking is, is this not the right company for a Rosarina, or is it just that you're not taking an outfielder right here? Uh yeah. I mean, I I could I could take I could I think I think Tosker is great, but uh, a great value. I believe in him and Randy, but you know, one's going at 59 and one's going um one's going more like 74 so i mean you're getting a little more value there so i think it's just a matter of getting the guy who's later that's true just, we're looking at one draft here so yeah you could literally just wait to see which one of them is taken and then if you if you get a chance take the other one on your next pick if you like them both but yeah i'm I mean, just thinking yeah. my, my my thinking about all these guys is maybe they're a good value at some point maybe, maybe it is the fifth round maybe it's the sixth round but they're not like these are not the type of players that I want to push up into the third and fourth round, which I think could very well happen with the Rosarina. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Randy, ha, you know, could be great, has a lot of risk. Trent Christian um, has a lot of downside. Uh, I think we know what his upside is, uh, but, you know, his, his batting average in, in, in downside, he, he definitely um, could be a stinker. <laughs> Tosca Hernandez, <laughs> we already knew he could hit for power. The intriguing thing for me is the speed. Because mm. we've seen, if you look at him in the minors, I mean, he has elite speed. So if they are going to let him run, that is a game changer. And I think for him, uh, he has a little bit of value available to him if he falls. Of the guys you listed, uh, George Springer is by far the smartest pick. He has a track record. Uh, you can kind of bake his things in. I like taking risks, but, you know, I like to take my risks later. 
I, I got to agree with you there. I mean, I think, um, you know, at least as far as the the most proven commodity, I mean, obviously Aaron Judge is great too, but, you know, there's, you got to bake in some risk there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's reared its head too many times now. And, um, you know, Springer may be the least exciting of these guys, and he's probably not going to tell you too many bases anymore. But uh, you know what you're going to get, and it's it's pretty good. He's he's kind of in the Castellanos mold to me, but maybe a little bit better. So, but you know, not on the Astros anymore, probably. But um, hey, before we uh, just one one quick hitter, like I don't know, I I don't want to say it's a good value, bad value. I'm probably not drafting him anywhere. But uh, Aldalberto Mondesi, I'm just curious. I love hearing everybody's thoughts on this guy, who <laughs> who um literally one of the, the uh, metrically one of the worst hitters in the history of baseball. Um, one of the very, very few people outside who are ranked outside of the top 20 that could probably end up as this, the number one player in all of fantasy. I mean, he's, he's just terrible, but he <laughs> could have, he could have 15 home runs and 60 stolen bases, which even with an 80% O swing, you know, who cares? It's fantasy baseball. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious what you think of uh, Mondesi. Cause again, I, I can't argue with where he's going. You can argue either way that it's a bad value or maybe a fantastic yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. So a couple things for me. I mean, what I, I ne- I've never drafted him. And I think one reason is I just I, I like to go for balance. And that one of the things that means to me is if a guy is, you know, basically hurting me in power runs, RBI and batting average, I don't really think that much about batting average because it varies a lot, but like it, I'm pretty sure he's not going to hit, you know, 20 plus home runs. I'm pretty sure he's not going to have 85, 90 RBIs. I'm pretty sure he's not going to have 85, 90 runs. And so therefore he is, he's a drain. You know, if he goes, if he hits 12 home runs, you know, 75 runs, 70 RBI. I mean, that's, those are hurting me versus, you know, players that not only, help me but like massively help me you know that that are going in the second round where Mondesi is going so Bryce Harper Manny Machado I mean I want to get some really bankable counting stats and I'm talking 100 and 100 in the uh, runs and RBIs and and the power you know and, and I get the allure of trying to win one category but I also just don't like the way it throws off your balance because now you've got to go take a bunch of guys later that are just like run an RBI stud. You got to go to draft Paul DeJong basically and just hope he's in the lineup every day and doesn't hit, you know, 220. And um, you know, I, I don't even <laughs> it's a bad example because I don't hate taking Paul DeJong uh, because I I like to get those those counting stats. And that's just that's what bothers me about Mondesi more than anything. It's not I'm not worried he's gonna tank my batting average. I'm not worried about any of that. I'm just thinking, okay, I'm giving all of this up to get stolen bases where Maybe I could just try to get stolen bases later and draft a Roman Quinn type guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's completely. Where, where do you stand on the Mondesi uh, debate? Here, I think in my heart, I think he is a tremendous value. I think if he's healthy, he is a. Um, I mean, being picked at th- pick thirty, I think is kind of a joke. Where uh, where I have him probably going to end up having him projected. But the downside is just so awful, and his floor is literally beneath the floor. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just going to avoid him. I, I am just going to avoid him like he doesn't exist. 
it's it's an example of what we sort of alluded to a couple times, which is which is not just statistics drafting, but also risk conscious drafting. <laughs> um, but I think you have to bake that in for every player. And so like Randy Rosarina, like could he be a, a steal in the fourth round or even the fifth round? Absolutely. But then he could also be, you know, not an everyday player. <laughs> and I don't think that's a huge risk, but I'm baking it in. So. I yeah, I think the point. thing, the main thing with why I would avoid Mondesi is this. If you're taking him, usually you say, all right, I got 50 stolen bases in the bag. I think you have to draft him um, with the intention of him not performing at all. So I think you draft him and then you have that kind of upside in the bank, but um, you have to pretend like it's not there. And, uh, you know, draft, you draft your stolen bases as if you just drafted a zero there. So I think that you can't afford to do that with a pick that early. There's, you know, there's certain things where I do that, where you, you know, you pick a risky player and then you immediately have to follow it up with maybe something safer. So I think it's just someone like Mondesi, you draft him and then pretend like you didn't draft him because you can't count on what you're hoping for. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, um, I, I'm not going to do that myself. It's just not the way I draft, but I, I think there's, there's like an argument to be made. I mean, you can miss on a pick. Like you can take, like I, I took, uh, you know, pitchers that didn't even get to play or Justin Verlander, you play one game and ended up doing well with some of, some of those teams, not many of them, but some of those teams. Uh, it's just a matter of you, you're putting yourself in a, in, a, in a tough position if he doesn't hit. Then again, you're putting yourself in a great position if he does. So it's just a, it's a high, high risk, high reward type of type of situation plus so. i also i mean again anyone who follows me knows this term i say it all the time death by a thousand paper cuts i don't like drafting Montesi or jonathan Villar or jared right. dyson i don't like those multi you know single category people i love i love austin meadows <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> i want some guy who's literally going to paper cut you to death in uh five different categories where maybe you don't feel the burn in one of them but they'll eventually make you bleed <laughs> Yeah, those those guys are typically values because everybody wants 40 home runs or or 60 stolen bases or whatever. So, well, let's go. Let's switch to um, a, a more positive uh, slant and let's talk about some guys that we think are going too late. And uh, again, uh, you can go first if you'd like. Um, anything related to COVID? Uh, we talked about Jack Flaherty where he didn't have COVID, but his team suffered from it. Um, Austin Meadows, I just brought him up. Yon Moncada, two players that I think could be elite MVP type performers who, because of COVID had really terrible seasons, literally COVID they had it. <laughs> That's yeah. that why they were held out. So I am kind of the, and again, there's certain people that are adding 2020 and 2019 together. There's some people that are really heavily in 2020. There's some people that are throwing it out. And the answer is do none of that. It depends on the player and the narrative and what, how 2020 affected them and what they did, how many games they played. Uh, and I think with these two, I think they're tremendous values where before they were going super early. Now I'm actually trying to look them up. I don't have them like right in front of my face. They are going as I'm killing time while searching <laughs> way too late. Austin Meadows is going at 87 ish. Uh, Yaman Kata around 89. So, I mean, all both in the same area. And to me, I expect them because metrically coming out of 2019, um, Moncada, you know, everyone had the questions about his Babbitt, but the, with how hard he hits the ball, I'm expecting a high Babbitt, not over 400, but everything he did made sense. Everything Austin Meadows did made sense. I expected them to be similar players. If, um, in Moncada, I expected to improve. So the same thing I expected going into 2020, I'm expecting going into 2021. I didn't have many Meadows shares last year though, cause he was going a bit high. I did have some Moncada, but now 
beautiful values for me who I'm expecting them to just kind of pick up where they left off leaving 2019 and 2020 is sort of a bad dream for them. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, as, uh, how do you reconcile sort of in your head, like somebody who had one of the worst cases of COVID we know of Freddie Freeman and then won <laughs> the MVP. I mean, is that just, it affects people differently. I mean, that's, that's one of the mo things we've learned most, I think in, in 2020 is you never know what things going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, he, he, there was all those videos about how he, he felt like he was dying and all this. And then obviously MVP, you don't know how things affect him. Um, what I, the thing I'm saying about this really affecting Meadows and Moncada could be completely crap, but it could just be the situation of the weird season. There's a lot of people that just need certain preparation, a certain kind of uh, routine that they're out of. So there's a lot of things there, but there's, there's usually a reason for players to slump. And again, uh, players like Makata could just slump. So, I mean, small sample sizes um, are just something that you just have to take into consideration for certain kinds of players anyway. But there was no real reason for how poorly they performed. Um, they didn't just like, their talent didn't just disappear. So yeah, it didn't affect a guy like Freeman, but um you know, it, it, you know, it, it could have possibly definitely affected Meadows and Mankata, but the big difference here being that I think where they're going they're they're well worth the risk. Uh, Freeman, I didn't draft anywhere last year, which again, you, everyone process of results and all that. Give me, you know, people say you give me the results, but yeah, I mean, someone who, who was already struggling with a little bit of an injury in, in spring training all of a sudden has COVID that he said uh, felt like he was dying. Yeah, I didn't really want any of that. So you can only go with the information you have. And uh, I think around like pick 90 Meadows and Moncada, I'm willing to bet the 2020 was just, just a bad case scenario in multiple fronts for both of them. Yeah, that, that definitely seems like a value. All right. Well, I'm going to go a little bit later in the draft around pick 120. And I am pretty excited to draft Matt, Matt Chapman in maybe, you know, almost the ninth round. I mean, that's that just seems insanely late for me. This was a guy that was going in the fifth, sixth round last year. Uh, I've never actually drafted Matt Chapman in previous years, but I mean, that two-round difference uh, in where he's going now or two or three rounds is, is everything to me. I mean, 120 for a guy who can hit 35 home runs. <clears throat> I know he was injured at the end of the season. I'm sure that's a lot of the reason for the discount. But, um, you know, if he's as long as he's fully healthy, I'm going to I'm going to grab some Matt Chapman now and then I'm going to be watching to make sure he just looks like himself in spring training, because if he's going anywhere near the eighth round or ninth round, uh, that just seems like a big value to me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mind that. I don't know if I'll necessarily be targeting him only because I, I I just happen to like a lot of third basemen's later. I think uh, we'll see where J.D. Davis ends up, uh, you know, uh, there's, I think there's a high likelihood he gets traded, but uh, a lot of his season was bad, some bad luck. If you watched his things, he had a lot of near miss home runs. He actually had one home run that was called a foul. That was actually a home run. Uh, oh, wow. but he's going around pick 197. Brian Anderson's boring. He's going around like pick 206. Hunter Dozier, um, you know, obviously always Justin Turner. We'll see who ends up. I'm not comparing these to the upside of maybe what Matt Chapman can give you. I just, uh, oh no, it looks like Hunter Dozier is not available at third base this year. Um, so I just, I just like a lot of late third basemen. So I don't know if I'll necessarily, um, it's probably one of those, probably the position I'll be waiting on in, in pretty much every draft. 
uh, Kyle Seeger um, appears to get no respect. <laughs> Not that the speed was real by any imagination, but he's still going at like 264. It's just one of those things that uh, Austin Riley at 266, who actually might be a better comp for Chapman as far as if you're looking for for 40 home runs. He's a guy that uh, improves at every level and Austin Riley could be having a huge breakout, but there's just, there's a lot of interesting people at third and it'll yeah, be I really like Urshela and, and, and I got yep. him in this draft in the, in the 12th round. And then Donaldson hasn't even gone yet. You know, he's going yeah. in the 14th, 15th, 16th round. I mean, if like, if, if he's okay, maybe not 16th, but you know, 14th round Josh Donaldson. I mean, that could be a huge, value and there are even other guys I, I agree with some of the guys you threw out i think the thing about chapman for me is i feel like as long as he's healthy i know what i'm going to get because in 2018 and 2019 he had 100 runs or more each of those two years he had uh you know and <laughs> amazing thing he didn't it was it wasn't even a full season in 2018 but in, in 2019 91 rbi 36 home runs not a great batting average but you know not he's not um striking out you know like a Joey Gallo or anything. So it's, it's not. Um... Yeah. I don't disagree with the, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It, it's more like, I don't disagree with Matt Chapman being a value. It's more of a, I think it looks like I'm just always waiting on third. Like I threw out five, six, seven names. I almost don't care who I get. Like I'll, I'll focus on filling other holes because I know by the time everyone else has picked a third baseman and has maybe picked a corner infielder, I probably still have a couple of options. I'm okay with. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think I'm gonna, my last year didn't seem like uh, corner infield was really leaning one way or another. I think my corner infielder is probably going to be a third baseman this year on, on more teams than not. Although there are some really good late first basemen too. So I guess it just depends how the draft goes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Maybe, you know, in light of that, maybe Matt Chapman, even in the eighth round, isn't as much of a value as some of those other players, but I still think he's a value. So I guess, you know, a um, lot of, lot of ways to go at third base and maybe you get him and you get another one of those guys later. So, yeah, well here, I can be a complete hypocrite right now. Cause we talked about this guy and I, I didn't do my breakdown on him yet. It'll be coming out tomorrow. Actually. We talked about him pre-shows Rafael Devers. Oh, yeah. uh, you want to talk about how, like, you know, we I was saying, maybe I'll wait on third base. <laughs> Rafael Devers at pick 50 is like such a steal. Um, it, <laughs> If you, you, everyone knows, like, he looked like he came in overweight and he started off terribly. And that really skews the numbers of a 60 game season. Obviously you can't overcome a bad, um, a bad stretch, but if you actually look at his end of year numbers, they were still good. He probably could have been on pace for like 40 home runs, hundred RBIs. If you look at his 2019 huge breakout season, he started off really horribly there too. I don't think he had a home run till like May. Um, so it's getting off to a slow start is probably just something Devers does, but he ended on a tear. And a lot of his struggles may have been like maybe bringing his defense to the plate. And he was tr terrible. A lot of people think Alex Cora, who was the guy who helped him be better defensively in 2019, could help him get back on track in 2021. So I think Devers is, could be an MVP candidate. I'm, again, I'm probably going to wait on third. But Devers is very interesting going that late for me. Yeah. Fourth round for, for Rafael Devers is – I didn't, I, I never really thought we would see that. And especially like you said, how much he turned it on. I mean, did hit 283 in September. So, I mean, he was, he was getting up there, catching up even uh, with a late push in batting average. But I mean, he had 43 RBI this year, you know, that's on a pace for like 110 plus. So yeah. he, he absolutely, um, you know, showed the skills are still there and, and maybe, you know, maybe there was, you know, some kind of off season, 
lack of prep or whatever, but uh, cer- certainly like, you know, if you see him <laughs> in spring training, I, he's, he's the type of guy I could see getting pushed up. And so while I'm probably not drafting him, if he gets up into the early third round, I would love to get at least, uh, you know, get him on at least one team uh, before that happens, because that is, that is pretty insane value. Mm-hmm. Um, one other guy that I actually mentioned before um, that I'm curious if you agree on is Zach Granke. I mean, Granke has always been, you know, sort of an undervalued pitcher. You know, he, he's, he plays for the, the Astros, which is pretty, pretty great right off the bat. You know, you're going to get some wins, but he's also just sort of an under understated, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, you know, he's not going to rack up. 250 strikeouts for you even over the course of a full year or anything like that but he's going to have great ratios he's going to get you wins and he's going to get you volume too and so he's going around pick you know late 90s right around pick 100 uh to me that's that's crazy you know we've seen him i think last year is mostly like a fourth rounder he might have been a third rounder sometimes he might have been a fifth rounder sometimes but Zach Greinke in the the seventh round uh in a 15 teamer it's it's just like a gift to me I don't uh, another guy I don't I don't disagree I, I don't think I'll have shares of him either only because I it's kind of the Pablo Lopez versus uh Kyle Hendricks argument too I'd rather draft my upside earlier um and maybe get some safety a bit later like just the things I look at as far as we already know the strikeouts, you mentioned that you can get volume, which is going to be so important in 2021, but his swinging strike rate was well below league average. O swing well below league average. Z yeah, it's contact. not pretty. He doesn't, he doesn't make it look good. He yeah. Kind of don't even want to watch him, but. I, and again, I think, but you know, the real, again, you, you look at what he did uh, even last year with, with those limitations, he had a four Oh three, right. Two eight. Oh, fifth. <laughs> which has got to be one of the lowest ones in baseball. I'm assuming without looking. Uh, but the, the thing is with him is rather than draft a guy like that early um, I'm looking later to, he wasn't, this guy is not even on my list, but uh, maybe he should be Jordan Montgomery. Maybe one of my favorite values, maybe in the draft for pitching uh, you look at someone like him and uh, his results on the nose weren't actually that good. He's, he's only, you know, he's five, one, one year, a three, eight, seven, fifth though. He did have a 24.4 strikeout percentage, which is which is okay. Only four and four point seven walk, so um, 19.7 K minus walk, which is nice. Uh, and you look at his swinging strike rate is uh, 12 point uh, 12.9, which is a bit above league average, which is 11.3. Z contact 80.6, league average is 84, so he's giving up way less contact in the strike zone. And his O swing is 37.1, league average 30. So it's just, I think I'd like his chances of really performing well for, you know, I know he's going around pick 225. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's personal preference and roster construction. I have, I think you make great points with Zach Granke. I think I just, uh, the way I draft, I tend to try to get a little more upside where I think you're getting Granke. I don't know if you, um, I don't think my, uh, the return on investment as far as what I'm looking for a profit potential is there for him uh, where I'd rather maybe take a shot on a guy. Like, again, I'm singling out Montgomery. It's just a single person I'm throwing out there where I think that he has a good chance to perform really well for significantly cheaper. Like I'd rather, I'd rather, yeah. Gamble on a guy who could miss um, instead of Granky and then uh, maybe, you know, you know, kind of supplement that with a few guys like, like this guy later. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think draft champions, which I play a lot of, you know, any kind of draft and hold league is going to train you to go with go with the safer guy and go, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also to bank some innings. So he had over 200 innings each year from 17, 18 and 19 um, and near 200 strikeouts, even though for most of that time he had he didn't even have one strikeout per nine. But it's just like that's how it works. You throw 200 innings, then you get 200 strikeouts if you're even close to that so he kind of volumes his way into value especially in like a draft champions format so i can i can totally see that you know the, the shallower the league probably the less interested you are i mean certainly if you're going for upside in like a 12 team or less but even so like um in redraft uh, in, in in a in a league i shouldn't say redraft because uh what i mean is a league with fab any any kind of like in the main event even um you're going to be going for a little bit more upside. So yeah. And I, one I thing that. you meant, the, the thing you mentioned um, specifically too, is that, is the, uh, is that a volume and it's something I'm the, I haven't baked in enough. I had I, in my initial rankings for 2021, I think I, you Darvish is my like fourth pitcher off the board, like my SP four, which is, you know, really high. <laughs> I've come <laughs> off of that. Um, I, I am really starting to look at the weird, situation with coming off this short season going into a long season and guys that have kind of been tried and true to give you that volume especially veterans like Granky, who are not even young and could be affected by like you know guys like you can expect innings out of Aaron Nola but he's still young or younger so maybe he gets affected by the weirdness Granky, I, I I don't anticipate there being any kind of issue with a guy like him so I think he is who he is <laughs> well yeah so I think that uh the volume there is something that uh, should definitely be heavily valued like sometimes it is but i think this year maybe more than ever i'm gonna really be taking a look at some people that are good for safe volume yeah i, I like that i'll be interested to see where you where you come out uh after more thought on that but but i i do think i've learned that from draft champions leagues give me one more uh guy that you think is going too late Going too late. I uh, I kind of threw a lot of the guys out during. Well, the- you did do some combos. So if you don't have any, I have one last guy yeah. that I sort of just wanted to throw out there, um, and that's Brian Reynolds <laughs> because Brian Reynolds was kind of a bummer this year. <laughs> he was not good, yet he's going after pick three hundred now, like three twenty five or so. Um, I'm you know this is not a something I've done a, a, a just a ton of work on. I mean he hit 189 this year. I think that was just a, as fluky as flukes can be. I think he's actually kind of a high batting average guy. But I mean he still got you seven home runs. His counting stats weren't great, but he, you know he was playing every day, and he's gonna play every day. He's gonna bat in a good part of the lineup because he plays on the Pirates. And so yeah, that's gonna hold his counting stats down a little bit. He's not gonna be a top 100 player. He probably doesn't have 30 home run power, but at pick 320 or whatever, uh, I think I might have Brian Reynolds on every team just because why not? (laughs) Uh, I will also have Brian Reynolds on every team. I'm actually glad you brought him up. I mean, the power and speed, I know you said you don't like to extrapolate over 60 games. It's stupid, but the power and speed were still kind of there in the end. The batting average was 189. Babbitt was 231. I wrote a whole article um, preseason on who could hit 400 in a 60 game season and whatever egg on my face. I said, Brian Reynolds was a good opportunity, but there was a reason he never batted below 302 in his entire career. And that was in double a with the pirates before that his lowest average was 312. And then he came up and hit 314 for the pirates. 
The lowest BABIP of his entire career before this year was 362. The second lowest was 387. He's wow. a high BABIP hitter, but the last year he had 189 with a 231 BABIP. It was just a weird situation with 2020. And he's like some players, some you don't, some you do. I'm throwing 2020 kind of straight out the window for Brian Reynolds because he has a track record of um, a few different stops and the majors of performing very consistently. And then all of a sudden in 2020, he comes up and performs like this. I mean, I think everyone can agree this wasn't him, whether how much you think you're really, he's going to bounce back is another, but the uh, plate discipline metrics in 2019, when he had the fantastic season, 11.5 swinging strike percentage last year, 11.6, no difference. O swing 2019, 31.1%, 2020, 31.3%, no change. I mean, contact 59, 58.5. When I say this guy's consistent, it's ridiculous how consistent he was. So when you look at how he performed every year of his minor league and major league career until last year, and you look at his BABIP and average, and then you look at all his plate uh, discipline from last year being pretty much carbon copies of what it was the year before. I think it's safe to assume he bounces back to kind of what he was in 2019 and now what he was in 2020. Yeah, I love that. I'm really glad I brought him up too because it sounds like you've you've looked into it even more than I have. I just see that that late of a pick on a guy that's going to play every day. And, you know, that's that's already a value. And then here's a guy who could hit 300 or close to it. Um, heck, yeah, sign me up. So so no leagues with me, Matt, because we both need to get him <laughs> every single time. So, well, this has been awesome, man. Um, I, we'll, we'll end it there. But um, I, I definitely want to give you a chance here at the end to talk about um, everything that you've got going on. I know you gave your Twitter handle, but maybe give that again and, and talk about what you're what you're working on these days. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. I'm in the middle of doing my uh, break player breakdowns like I did last year. Last year, I did like 70 in like 70 days. I'm not doing wow. them every single day. Uh, last year, I started them in February, so I just did them like really quickly. Uh, so there'll be a little more space down now, but I've already done about five. I've done Randy Rosarina, Trent Grisham, Javier Baez, Michael Conforto, Mike Yastrzemski. And you can follow them on the hashtag 2021 player breakdowns or on rotofanatic.com. I'm going to be putting up an alphabetical index of them. So you can just click on the player um, again, alphabetical last name, and it'll take you right to them because they'll end up, you know, I plan on doing a, you know, hundreds of these. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for when you get them up on the site because I definitely referenced that quite a bit last year. And I, you know, I should have shouted it out myself, but if anybody hasn't seen these on Twitter, like these are fantastic breakdowns and just a Twitter thread uh, where Matt, you know, brings a lot of different sources of information and uh, really goes deep. So thank you for doing those again. I think those are beloved by, by many of us in the uh, fantasy community. Yeah, um, no problem. Thanks sorry, for having me on the show. You, I think I might've in, uh, interrupted though. Were you, was there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about that you have going on? Nope, that was it. <laughs> you got me in a <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> wow. I'm, I can't wait for uh, for more player breakdowns to come. And, and thanks for being on the show once again. This has been a lot of fun. As always, uh, everybody can find me at Common Sense FBB on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball. <laughs>